Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. It is the Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah that takes us into the meditation this day. Please bow your head and heart with me for a word of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight this day, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In that Redeemer, Jesus Christ, your fellow saints of the Most High God. Our first response to this word from Isaiah, and even Paul's and Jesus' admonitions, might be like those of a certain group of Lutherans when a light bulb burned out in their church, and they were asked to change it. Change, they demanded in disbelief. My grandmother gave that light bulb to this church, <laughs> and I'm glad you realize that it's a joke. Or in Scandinavian and Lutheran language, a yoke, eh? Yeah, you betcha. And yet, in terms we can understand, our gut reaction to Isaiah's challenge of no yoke, because... It's no yoke to us. Isaiah is saying God isn't just for Sundays anymore. In fact, he's not even just for holidays and holy days, but for every day. All the days, as Jesus says before he ascends. You see, God seeks to make a difference in our hearts and lives changing us from lovers of self to lovers of him, and yes, lovers of all. Changing us from people who love to sin and even live to sin at times into people who hate sin and live for God. Isaiah is saying, you can't say you love God and then turn around and turn on your brother taking advantage of him, abusing and using him. You can't serve God and then keep doing disservice to your neighbor. Isaiah's words seem like a yoke, a rope, if you will, around our necks. They lay a heavy burden on our hearts and minds, binding conscience, burdening life. It seems so, so drastic, so unbelievable. Take God out of church and apply him to daily life? Turn ritual into reality? You've got to be kidding, right? Rituals are one thing, reformation quite another, even for us of scripture. System, we've been blessed in our theology, but too many today cannot begin to appreciate what fills our libraries because it no longer fills their minds and hearts. They no longer know David from Daniel from Deborah. They don't know a judge from a king from a prophet. What in the world is an apostle? And how does an apostle differ from an epistle? Who really is Jesus? What did he really do? And why did he do it? They don't have a clue as to what sin is, or what grace is, what love and mercy are all about. They see God like a 
cholesterol-free diet. No yolks and no fun. Not funny at all. Uh-uh. Indeed, they see God as taking all the fun out of life, squeezing it dry with his strict, unyielding ways. To them, it's like living life in a straitjacket. Isaiah tries to change that by pointing to the no yoke that really matters and makes life fun for everybody. Not just the rich and powerful, the prim and proper, the religious, upright and uptight people of the day. By pointing them along with Paul to Christ and him crucified and letting them know that Jesus, or letting us know, that Jesus affirms Isaiah's admonition in both word and deed by his preaching and his practice, and especially his passion. You have to remember here that this is the same Jesus who says to us, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is telling us is that we have to change from law to gospel, from a have-to to a want-to attitude. For the law certainly is a yoke, a captivity to sinners. But God in Christ has removed that yoke. He's released the captive. He's healed the sick, raised the dead, turned sinner into saint, moved us from a law to a love motivation of giving rather than taking life. Taken as law, Isaiah's admonition would be a scourge, making us cringe. Taken as gospel in God's hands, it lightens the load for everyone. It becomes a welcomed light to show us God's love so that all might be treated fairly, with dignity, and respect taken as gospel it takes the onus off of life the ouch out of the law and replaces it with god's loving touch making of life an opportunity for us to show and share god's loving will an opportunity to love as we've been loved let me give you an example that the of the difference that the gospel makes in life. And it comes right here from you. It's an example you have given of late and really every year at least that I've been privileged to be a part of this congregation. For it seems that each year, towards the end of the year, the call goes out for the funding of our mission and ministry here at Zion. And this magnificently with loving hearts filled with gospel grace and hands filled with generous gifts to provide for God's work here in our midst, out there in our community and world. Not because you had to, but because you chose to. You wanted to. You loved to. 
And for that, as one saint in your midst, I want to thank you, people of God. It's only by the gospel grace that is given us in Jesus Christ that that will continue among us. Well, you see, that's how the gospel works. That's the response the gospel brings about. Law is a one-time deal, doing what one has to. Law thrives on such words as duty, responsibility, obligation. Gospel turns a have-to into a want-to, turns a one-time offering into limitless love. It responds in maximums instead of minimums. It's the gospel, the love of God in Christ Jesus that frees from both sin and guilt, that removes and releases from the weight of the law. Law turns people into legalists. The gospel turns people into lovers. The law smashes sin and sinners. The gospel smashes boundaries and walls and goes out of its way to show love. Law is based on duty. Law leaves the loving to others many times because it's afraid of the liabilities involved. Gospel goes above and beyond the call to duty, to true and total sacrifice, no matter what that price might be. That's why it's good news. It loves, and it leaves the results to God. It cares and trusts God for the cure. It witnesses and knows that God will use his words and actions of life and love through us in order to convert and change other hearts and lives, even as he has our own. It does what Isaiah says. Love serves God daily. It seeks to do so day and night. It turns a fast into a feast and life into a festival, a celebration of God's love. And that's what keeps our witness winsome instead of having it turn worrisome. That's what keeps us caring and comforting instead of conniving and sometimes carefully avoiding. That's what keeps us loving others instead of leaving them. For when the love of God takes over and fills your heart and life, then his nature becomes our nature. And his life becomes a way of life and life itself for us. Life is made for loving by our God. That's his nature. And that's our quest to never stop loving even as God always loves us and is always demonstrating the same to us. And that takes God's creative and redemptive activity in our hearts and lives. That takes God's life-giving and restoring power through his word and sacrament. That takes knowing God and knowing that he's for you and not against you. That he goes before you even into death, even as he went forth to the cross in order to show us the glories of resurrection that lie just beyond. 
such a God who loves you unto death is a God you can trust with your very life. And no, God is no raving idealist with his head stuck in the clouds. He knows such behavior in a fallen world will hurt, have its consequences, lead to a cross for us as well. He's been there, remember? Isaiah assures us, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. In other words, he'll be there with us, for us, to help us, to supply whatever, indeed all, that we need, to support, to strengthen with his power, his almightiness, his spirit. He'll be there to comfort and cradle, to keep us with his love, to tell us over and over, I love you. God's got life covered from beginning to end, from cradle to grave. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, Isaiah tells us, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Or, in Jesus' words in today's gospel, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's what happens when the gospel is put into practice in place of the law. The lights go on. The glory of the Lord shines forth through that and through us. Perhaps a poem by Andrew Daughters based on Matthew 5, 13 to 20 says it best. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said not you might be or could be or should be. He said, you are the light of the world. Think of it. We are the light. We brighten the world, and if we do not, the world is dark. We are a guide. We bring people home. If we do not, the world may be lost. Ours it is to keep others from stumbling, others from falling. Where we will not go, there are shadows. Where we have not reached, darkness is. So I ask myself, how clean is my lens? How firm my connection to the source of power? And I ask myself again, if I were the only light in my neighborhood, how bright would my neighborhood be? For by how we are and what we do, others will know who is our God, capital G, or our God, small g. And it is still true. People who live and shine. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, will keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, our risen and reigning Lord and Savior. Amen.